apologies for this podcasting dropping out a day late and not providing you with a commonplace book last week. If you're impatient and wondering where the heck it's been, well, then it seems to me that you must look forward to this podcast. And if you do, then you should really write a nice review on iTunes, please. The Apple algorithm ranks podcasts according to reviews. And the best thing you can do to support this podcast at this moment is to write a review just as soon as you're done listening to this. A commonplace book is where you jot things down that you want to remember. And right now, I want to remember what this podcast is about. After all, it's called historically thinking, not historically speaking. Today, I want to remind myself and inform you about what historical thinking means. At the heart of historical thinking, or so my colleague Lendl Calder, I and other historians believe, are a set of cognitive skills, skills which enable practices that define what historians do and how they do it. Just as historical thinking can be represented by the question, are you kidding me? Or perhaps, What's the real story here? So too does each of these practices, so too can each of these practices be represented by a question. The first of these isn't really a practice of historical thinking. It's a practice on which everything else depends. It's comprehension, reading comprehension. It's represented by the question, what do these documents say? Comprehension is the ability to accurately reconstruct the meaning of documents and be able to do so without major misreadings, serious misconceptions, or ignoring relevant information. I'm coming to the belief that this is the most important thing for any area of the humanities, the thing that most professors and teachers take for granted, and that thing which cannot be taken for granted. Then there are, in Calder and Zambone's list of practices of historical thinking, six core practices. First, questioning. What questions make historical sense of these documents? Asking a good question is the first step in making a historical argument. A question is then answered in the form of a thesis that makes a significant claim responding to that question. The second core practice, sourcing. Asking the question, what is this document good for? Sourcing identifies where a document comes from, the context of that document. Sourcing assesses documents for bias, reliability, relevance, point of view. It's not determining if documents are biased. Uh, Intelligent historian realizes that all points of view are biased. Sourcing determines the type of bias. In my experience, this is the hardest skill and practice to teach. Third, connecting asking the question, how does a document fit into a bigger picture? Or how does a piece of material culture fit into a bigger picture? In this practice, information from a variety of sources is connected together. It's compared and contrasted. Testimony is corroborated. Links are observed and made. The practice of connection is why when you ask a historian for, say, a book about the Crusades, that historian will probably give you three books about the Crusades. Historians connect without even realizing it. Fourth practice, evidence, or more inelegantly, evidencing. That answers the question, how do I know what I claim to know about my question? This is the practice of historic logic. 
historic logic reasons inductively from facts or cases to a general conclusion, or from time to time, it reasons deductively from authoritative statements to an unknown. It's a mindset that allows evidence to correct preconceived opinions, and it supports the thesis with evidence. Fifth practice, multiple perspectives. How might others plausibly interpret this evidence differently? In this practice, the historical thinker considers more than one point of view. In the process, objections to a thesis are assessed, either rebutted or conceded to. Sixth and last of the core practices is awareness of limits, or to use an old-fashioned word, humility. This answers the question, what do I not know that I need to know? What problems remain? Historical thinking, like any kind of thinking, needs to be self-critical. Not suicidal, but critical. This means that it admits contrary evidence, qualifies arguments, and recognizes limits to one's historical knowledge. Finally, there are four practices that are of a more advanced level. The first of these is the recognition of change and causality. This is represented by the question, what has changed and why? It's a practice that recognizes and explains notable change over time. It's attentive to multiple causation. It avoids singular causation. It depends, it avoids those simplistic explanations that people often provide that pivot upon just a one cause. Context, or what background knowledge helps us to understand these documents or this evidence? This is the practice in which accurate, helpful background knowledge is provided to help interpret texts in context. Research, where can I find more evidence? That hardly needs much explanation, and yet you'd be surprised how difficult it can be to find relevant and significant sources on one's own. And finally, narrative. Narrative, or how can I make sense of the evidence with a story? Historians have for thousands of years used the conventions of narrative art to give meaning to evidence from the past. Perhaps because narrative is the form that's best suited to explaining change and causality over time. For whatever reason, the crafting of narrative is an essential historic practice and a skill that can be learned. Over the next year, about once a month in these commonplace books, I'm going to expand on each of these cognitive skills and the practices that those skills support. I'll be discussing these skills with my partners in conversation as well. Last month, you heard me talk with Jenny Prisnell, librarian at Miami University of Ohio, about doing research and about sourcing. In the coming months, you'll hear conversations with economist Russ Roberts that touch upon recognizing the limitations of knowledge about changing one's mind and having intellectual humility. With Sam Weinberg and Lyndall Calder about just about all these skills and why they're important. And with Sarah Ann Carter about asking good questions about seemingly mundane objects. I hope you enjoy these conversations, and more importantly, I hope that you'll find them useful as you work in jobs that are far removed from departments of history in liberal arts or research colleges or research universities. Because, I believe, it's in those other jobs that these practices are the most important. Lawyers use them. Doctors use some of them as well. 
So also do detectives, public health nurses, student life administrators, and most important of all, citizens. This has been the Historically Thinking Commonplace book for the week of February 10th, 2019. I'm Al Zambone, right in the corner where you are.